Hello and welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 11, Under the Influence, from 1986, the seventh of eight movies Keanu did in 1986. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us we have special guest Todd Van Mullicum. Hello, Todd. Hello, good to be here. So this movie, like a lot of these other movies, the early ones, is something I knew nothing about. I think you picked this. I don't think we gave this one to you. Why'd you pick this movie? All right, well, when I first saw it, I I thought it was going to be one of those after-school special kind of like, you know, like like there was a Helen Hunt movie where she was on like PCP or something, and there was like... Ben Affleck did a movie about steroids and stuff, and like you show it to kids in high schools, and I thought this was going to be one of those type of movies, but it's a little heavier than that, and probably more geared towards Al-Anon and AA meeting kind of movie showings, whereas like I'm pretty sure this movie was never like released released. It kind of just went straight to like AA clubs so they could show it to their... <laughs> because that's the kind of thing that this is dealing with. Like I said, it's different than what I expected, but this movie was really something else. If I'm counting right, this is his fifth TV movie out of the first, you know, 13 or so things he's done. You know, a couple of those things we couldn't get our hands on. They, they've all sort of, to some extent, had a message to tell, I would say, Mike, and you can go into that a little bit. But this is the one that I would say is most heavy-handed. Like, this whole movie just seems to exist to say, yes, alcoholism is a disease. And that's yes. sort of, I think, the whole point of this movie. Yeah, we've kind of been down this road before already with Keanu, but it's never felt this serious and this real, and there's no levity in this whatsoever, whereas in some of the previous ones that feel more like those after-school specials, especially like One Step Away, there were light moments and there was tonal shifts, and this is just from beginning to end, keeps its tone and stays on message relentlessly. This is the first Keanu Club movie we've done that I've actively disliked. And I actively disliked it for, like, almost the entire movie. That it was difficult to get through. It was not entertaining in really any way, I don't think. There wasn't even the Keanu to fall back on because he's not in it that much. Like, it's not like we can sort of be like, oh, at least he's, you know, in every scene and we get to sort of watch him do his things. You know, if you have to rank in terms of who's the most prevalent in this movie, he's maybe four, five, or six. Like, he's not, like, the movie doesn't really care about him much. Yeah, he's like the goalie in in Youngblood. (laughs) He's a background character in his own family in this movie. I mean, it's it's mostly the Andy Griffith show is what's going on here, basically. You know, Andy Griffith was a huge TV personality and super wholesome image with his show. This was right around the Matlock era when he was getting started with that, coming back to TV. And this is actually very against his type, I feel, this this type of character. But it's the type of thing he would be involved in as far as the message and the family values and everything like that. So yeah, while Keanu's here, his presence is felt, it's, it's not the Keanu show. Yeah, I would say that Andy Griffith did a pretty good job uh, playing the part, and he did put in a pretty good performance, although a little hammy in parts. But like, I you know, I'm going to be the dissenter on this and say that it's not a terrible movie. It's just heavy-handed. It gets across its point very well. The acting is is fairly well done, um, even from Keanu in the small part that he has. But I think it does a very good job of doing what it intends to do, and especially I feel even with like the relationships, because I feel. Even more so than being a movie about alcoholism, it's about toxic people, toxic relationships, codependency, and like an 
enablers of alcoholics. So it's more than just like, oh, alcoholism is bad, but it's about how it affects people. And it gets that point across really well. It's not super entertaining, but, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's not a movie that you want to watch again. I do agree that the acting is well done and and the writing's well done. And I just guess for me, in this being Keanu Club, my main thing was just where's Keanu the whole time? Uh, There's there's just a sense of unbalance when it comes to doling out the scenes for the children in this movie. It's basically the Andy Griffith has four kids and it's, we, we see mostly through their eyes, how he's been affecting their lives. And we see the older brother, the older sister and the younger sister, but we barely get to see Keanu. And, and that's just sort of what threw me off and made me kind of check my watch a couple of times. Is that the older brother or is that the husband of the older sister? Yeah, I think stand-up comic. Yeah. So, okay. The worst part of this movie is how much time they spend with a stand-up comedian. The movie starts and ends with this schlocky '80s stand-up of things that genuinely have never been funny, and yet he seems like he's a huge hit, at least in this one little club. Your mm-hmm. levity said there was no levity in the film. I mean, come on. <laughs> they were attempting something with this, um, as if trying to say stand-up comedy is this new medium and we're going to integrate it into the story because his material is going to be about alcoholism and, you know, we're going to try and laugh at the darkness. But Joey's right. To me, this all just, maybe we listen to too much comedy these days and the comedians we like are, are great comics compared to this guy because it just, it made me angry almost at just how bad he was at his delivery and just the era, like his skinny tie and the way he moved and his facial expressions, everything about him kind of repelled me in a way. So like I couldn't even engage with what was supposed to be the funny moments. I like living in LA. It's a great town. It's a town where the men are men and the women are women, except on weekends when it's pretty much anybody's guess. <laughs> I've met some very strange people here, you have to admit, they're out here, okay? I went out with a girl the other night who said she lived in L.A. her entire life and still wasn't sure how to spell it, so... Are you guys married? All right, then you know what I'm talking about. You know how to cool off an amorous girlfriend? You marry her. Oh, yeah, right, okay. Sure, the women hiss, but the guys know it's true. You know, you know when a woman says, I do, it's an incomplete sentence, right? I mean, you know, the full sentence is actually, I do, but not very often. See? I feel that the comedian is kind of just representative of of that era in terms of when, like, you know, every comedian worth his salt was getting a TV show with, like, Tim Allen and Paul Reiser and all those things. And it's kind of very schlocky. And so it's, it's kind of a symptom of the times. It, it seems like he's kind of a crappy comedian based on what's considered good comedy now. I think that the, the comic works well in terms of what Todd was saying earlier about the film being about sort of, you know, toxic people and toxic behavior and toxic personalities, I don't think he works any other way. As I was watching, I was thinking about the other shows that all came out since this movie that have done sort of what this movie did in terms of presenting the comedian. So you have Seinfeld, you have Louie, you have Inside Amy Schumer, and their stand-up always sort of mirrors or precedes or relates to in some way what's going on on screen. And I guess this sort of does the same thing, but it's not funny and it's almost too... And I don't know if it's hacky just because we've seen so much comedy and comedy's come such a long way since then. And this is just sort of schlocky club humor and not highbrow stuff even for the time. I'm not sure, but it just doesn't work. 
Yeah. And side note, I think, I believe, the reason I think he's not a son, and I think he only has three kids, for two reasons, I guess. Number one, when they're about to go to that parent-teacher conference night, Andy Griffith says to the younger daughter, he's like, I did it for your older brother, I did it for your older sister, and I'm going to do it for you. So I think that's number one. And number two, when they're going to like Sunday brunch or church and then lunch or whatever they're doing, the comedian seems very opposed to it. He doesn't seem like he's invited. So I think he's married (laughs) to the older sister. But like they don't really pay any attention to like setting up who's who or what the relationships are. I don't think he's a son, which makes his presence in the movie as, you know, probably the second most prominent character maybe baffling. I'm positive he's the son. Absolutely. Because it's very clear that he's the son and it's just that the husband of the daughter looks so much alike with the brother that it's hard to tell them apart. It's kind of a weird casting choice, especially when they don't really set it up that well, besides the fact that they're like married couple, having a fight, blah blah, and then they bring in the brother who looks just like him, but has been set up as the comedian. And also... Is that kind of like the worst reveal in the movie that like Yes. It's Yeah. <laughs> you're that like... is super confusing. Well like that's my issue is I understand why Joey doesn't think he's the brother and why someone could think that because of how confusing this is. Like the continuity with the comedian is like this Tarantino esque back and forth sideways through time stuff. Like I'm not even sure if the comedian is Keanu grown up and that's going to be the reveal or, you know, if it's the <laughs> author of this piece and it turns out we're just watching his act and how he sees it in his head. I'm not sure what's going on with this guy to begin with. And so when he shows up in the middle of the movie, I'm like, uh, the brother probably, yeah, I'm going with it. But I could see that you're not sure because the sister's husband's in it for like two scenes. He gets slapped by the sister and then he takes off and he's out of the picture. His part in the movie is very fast and also he's very non-existent here. So I, I could understand the confusion because I was very confused. So there's four kids and the husband just looks like the older brother? Yes. Also, the problem that I was maybe having, and I'm not, I don't want to like chalk this up to it exactly, is that we were watching, the only way we could watch it is this like real low quality upload on YouTube. You know, it's not super easy to tell people apart. And also, I didn't really care about this movie. Like, I was like, I was checked out almost immediately. I mean, I watched the whole thing. I don't want to say that, like, you know, I didn't do my duty for Keanu Club, but I did not like this movie. It was hard to tell people apart. I didn't know it was two people. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But okay, that makes I, I guess that makes more sense. The fact that he's an older brother makes more sense why he's in the movie so much. If he was just the husband, that would be crazy. Yeah, because I was trying to figure it out with. It's like, why is this comedian here? Why do we keep cutting back to him? And I sort of figured out, oh, he's talking about two sisters and what he's saying is sort of being intercut with the real life drama of the family and stuff. So I'm like, okay, he's connected to this family somehow, some way. I mean, is there a twist to him that I missed? Well, the twist is that like they're all at the hospital and it's like, hey, we called Steve. You know, he's coming from L.A. And then he shows up. You're like, oh, it's the comedian. Like. Oh, we weren't <laughs> expecting that at all, you know. So it was kind of super obvious for anyone that was paying, you know, paying attention. But or like, or like Mike was saying, it's like kind of a, at first you're like, I thought the same thing. I was like, is this Keanu grown up? Did he? Although Keanu doesn't seem like much of a comedian when he's <laughs> when he's <laughs> about all the time. 
Keanu doesn't seem like much of anything. Like, what do we know yeah. about him? He's he's wearing sort of like a varsity jacket, kind of. <laughs> he drinks beers. He For works breakfast. at a hardware store. Yeah, so that's the family business. That's all and... we know about him, though, right? Like, we don't. He doesn't have any other defining anything aside from those things, right? Yeah, no, no. The thing about him that I got is he's supposed to be the most like his father, right? He's he's the one that openly mm-hmm. drinks. Him and his dad brawl a lot. Like they see a lot of each other in themselves. And I really wish we spent more time with that instead of his younger sister's art stuff and the older sister's <laughs> marriage trouble and the comedian stuff. Like the comedian stuff is just killing me at this point because Keanu's sort of shoved out of this picture. And it's a bummer because his character seems like the one that should be here the most in a way, you know, like I'm saying, like they're drawing the parallels between right. him and the dad. So he seems like one of the most important mm. people that should be on the screen. We do get probably the best scene in the movie, thanks to Keanu, which is when he comes home and Andy Griffith is drunk. It's, it also seems like Keanu doesn't really live at home he sort of spends a lot of time away from home, and I can understand why he doesn't want to be around his dad. He comes home one night, and Andy Griffith is drunk, and Keanu's drinking a beer, and Andy Griffith seems to be... Like, I think we also get, Mike, sort of what we had in Dream to Believe a little bit, with that very minor character of Olivia Diabo's dad, about how sometimes Andy Griffith seems like a good guy, like when he's not on the sauce. Like, yeah. when he gets home and is offering to go to the younger daughter's school function and offering to help set up and all this different stuff. And here, I don't know if he's sort of being passive-aggressive, but he's like, hey, how's your food? Do you want me to heat it up for you? And then Keanu's like, no, but you can grab me a beer. And then Andy Griffith goes in the fridge and takes out full cans of beer and just starts throwing them at Keanu's head. And it's amazing. Nice of you to drop by. No place like home. Fun tonight with your bum friends. If they like me, they gotta be bums, right? You buy their booze, you buy their fun. What would you call them? Don't know. What do you call the guys you hang out with down at Sweeney's? That food okay, or should I get your mother up to pick something else? Mmm. Food's great. Cold, though. Maybe I should warm it up for you. No, thanks. She can get me another beer. Another beer? Yeah. Okay. Here's another beer. What Nobody ever gave me anything. I gave you a roof. I gave you a job. You look at me like I'm dirt. Dirt fits, you know? Get out of my house. Get it out of your house. It's my favorite scene in the movie, and I was sort of hoping it was going to happen when he went to the fridge, but then the fact that it actually did happen was amazing. (laughs) It's kind of the best and worst scene in the movie just because it's, like, so over the top, but in a way, it's it's like the thing you been hoping for like you just kind of want at that point in the movie it's just kind of building up between him and his dad and you're just like i actually wanted him to like slug his dad in that scene and just like yeah. drop on the floor that would have been the ultimate part of that scene if that would have happened but they just held back for whatever reason well he was he was sort of being held back by his sister like she was literally holding his arm right that he wanted to punch him i think but he was sort of being like 
they were saying like, no, 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 don't punch him. Like, you know, our family's bad enough as it is. And his dad hit him, which was the thing. Like, I thought the opportunity for the for the son to for Eddie to just bam, like knock him down. But yeah, didn't didn't go there. Yeah, it is too bad too because I feel like Andy Griffith and Keanu Reeves when they're on screen together, there's chemistry and and stuff happens and their characters clash. There's conflict between them just inherently, just because of who their characters, how they're how they're written, just how similar they are as people. So when they are on screen together, it's explosive and it's good. And, and later on in the hospital stuff, like we get again some great stuff when he's just acting with him in a hospital bed. And it, I mean, I'm sound like a broken record, but it's just too bad there's such little Keanu in here because what is here is what works with this movie you know and Andy Griffith's good it's interesting to see him keep up his performance here his portrayal of an alcoholic just seems real on point here and it's just super frustrating and just really depressing and annoying and just I just wish there was there was more well yeah going back to what you said earlier it's crazy that there's not more of him because they are so similar and the stuff that sort of works the best and I don't want to say it works well because we just don't get enough of it we don't really know why it's exactly happening is when Andy Griffith goes to the hospital after he just basically drinks himself into like disease right that is his his liver is failing and you know the doctor says if he ever drinks again he's going to die and so we see Keanu in the hospital with his dad, and he's, like, trying to smuggle in alcohol. And that seems like a crazy thing, I think, just because, A, it is crazy, but B, because we don't really know him as a character. But I think that that's sort of potentially the most interesting stuff. And the film's like, nah, I don't really care about it. Let's just go, like, see, you know, the daughter's crafted dove and see the older brother's stand-up comedy, and just, like, let's do everything but give Keanu anything to work with. The the sister's promotion at the flower factory, that's really important. For the oh, my gosh, what was that? <laughs> it's literally just the flower. Like, they sell flour that you bake with. I was losing my mind in that sequence. You're right, Joe. What they decide to focus on is out of focus. It's like they out of focus on stuff. It's almost like they're like, how can we make scenes interesting? And I feel like in this regard, somebody had the idea of the moment where the daughter is so proud to tell her dad, because she always likes making her dad happy, that she got a promotion at work. And then the dad responds with, oh, that's just a cost of living increase. Which, by the way, 6%, I will take that cost of living increase any day. Like, that is a great raise. But anyway, I feel like that whole moment was like, how can we have a good thing turned into a bad thing on a dime? And they had that idea, and then they didn't really care. They're like, well, we need to set it up. So, like, we're going to have her giving a presentation and then walking with her manager in the fact. Like, it's just, it's insane. Well, can we just talk about how this movie is, like, also centered around Christmas? The most depressing melodramatic movie I may have ever seen in my life centered around the happiest holiday, Christmas time. It's jarring. I feel like a lot of films do that to sort of like, you know, if you have a good life and you have like a family, like a functional family, you have friends or whatever, then Christmas is a great time. But if you're like this family where the dad, I'm assuming, ruins every holiday, whether it's Christmas or Thanksgiving or anytime they're together, even just like Sunday lunches after church, I'm sure that there's not a day that goes by where he doesn't ruin something. I feel like this whole movie is based on somebody's childhood. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, this is all like, oh, I remember that Christmas where, like, Dad really screwed things up. You mean the Christmas (laughs) Dad died of alcoholism? (laughs) (laughs) Worst Christmas ever. Like, that's what's crazy. 
Yeah, like, that's what's so crazy to me is the Christmas stuff feels one step too far in a way. You know, it's like we already understand the severity of what's happening here. I don't know necessarily making it Christmas, Thanksgiving, his birthday, stuff like that. It's I, it, I almost blocked it out to a degree. You know, like I almost forgot it was Christmas until the funeral and I saw the tree in the corner. I was like, well, this is a black Christmas. <laughs> it's kind of like halfway in there. It's like it's kind of a backdrop and kind of like framing the movie but also it doesn't really serve a purpose to have it be around Christmas. It's kind of like a Shane Black kind of thing. Like, yeah, every everything happens in Christmas, but it doesn't mean anything. This movie's strange in that, like, things happen, but, like, the order that things happen doesn't matter at all, I feel like. Until the dad goes in the hospital, like, everything leading up to that point could be interchanged, and then everything between the time he goes to the hospital and the time he dies could sort of be interchanged. They're all just sort of like a series of vignettes, kind of. It's not hard to talk about this movie. It's weird to talk about this movie because there's no, like, this happens, which leads to this, which leads to this. It's all just Andy Griffith being a terrible dad. And then, you know, he winds up in the hospital, and then he's a terrible dad some more, and then he dies. And then Keanu goes to his grave and starts, like, shooting bullets at the grave. scene i definitely thought it was going in a different direction tell me if you guys thought the same thing well yeah because you see you see keanu drunkenly wandering around the graveyard with the gun and then we go off screen and we hear a gunshot we see his brother like literally grab a grave like a tombstone to stable himself from what he just saw and what he just saw was Keanu shooting a bullet at his father's grave to shoot a bottle. Like, it's not like he put a rifle up to his chin and, like, pulled the trigger. He shot down, which is, like, the complete opposite direction of what he would be doing if he's killing himself. So, like, it's such a cheap fake-out that I was really hoping the movie would follow through. Because really early on in this movie, you sort of have to ask yourself the question, okay, we know people are going to die in this movie. It's just a question of who's going to die and how many people are going to die. <laughs> And the fact that only one person died and it was the alcoholic is sort of, like, thinning, but also sort of boring. Yeah, I feel like you also need to show there were more consequences than, you know, like, the bad guy died. But you also have to show the bad guy killed a guy or two on his way out. So, like, since the dad's the bad guy, like, clearly he's going to die in this movie. But you're right, there needed to be some collateral damage in a way. I actually did think Keanu pulled the trigger at first because there's just there's no setup with this gun stuff whatsoever i think at the funeral his brother makes a remark or a joke about dad couldn't shoot but you nailed it on your first try and all this and then suddenly he's sitting outside with a rifle and then he's just blasting into his dad's grave i didn't know what was going on i mean i love the imagery and stuff like that but anything could have happened they could have gone with him taking himself out because it would have also been a nice parallel with his dad too in terms of the gun, though, when he went to pick up his dad from police station, he had the gun in the back window of his truck, and there was a scene where he went up to grab it, and it, like, fell down because they were both kind of drunk or something, and the father mentioned something about it, but it was kind of like the Chekhov's gun of this movie that they uh, showed it in the first yeah. act, and it had to go off. I didn't off even know what that was. 
I don't know what it was either because Andy Griffith's like either fix it or get rid of it. And I was like, fix mm-hmm. what? Like, I don't understand. It's like a gun rack that fell. Yeah. I don't know. They Yeah, they needed Keanu hanging out in the bar that he gets loaded in with a gun, like shooting windows. You know what I mean? Like really setting up that, that he's a gun dude and that we're going to see it throughout the movie. They needed to set up the gun at least a little bit more. It's just not, it's like nothing in this movie is really set up. Everybody is doing things to sort of not make Andy Griffith mad or not upset the status quo. And then when he's gone, things just sort of like, okay, now we can do the things that we want to do. Aside from the scholarship, which is even, even the scholarship is downplayed, right? Like the younger daughter is this wonderful artist who has a full ride to the Massachusetts Institute of Art as opposed to, quote, State U, where she's currently enrolled. She's this wonderful art student, even though we only see her do one piece of art, and it's just like this bird that she's sculpted. Even that's sort of downplayed. We never have her tell the dad. The teacher just shows the dad, and he storms out, but we never see any fallout from that. The movie doesn't want to set anything up. It doesn't want to pay anything off. Everything is just sort of what you see is what you get. Well, I think my answer to that is that this movie kind of replaces plot with characters in terms of just showcasing the stock characters of what you would find in a family of an alcoholic. Like, you've got the younger daughter who's the troubled artist who's trying to save her family or at least save her dad by, like, refilling his his liquor bottle with colored water. You've got the the son that, that takes after him but resents him in Eddie Keanu got the the overachieving daughter who can never make him happy and like wants to cover her emotions and replace it with approval and then you've got the the son that runs away to become a comic which is like a trope that's been in comedy since you know comedians have existed I'm surprised that the comedian actually doesn't end up being an alcoholic in this movie too seeing as that's you know a a well-worn trope of comics on screen and in real life is that they kind of drink to run away from their problems that they present on stage. And then you also have the enabling mother-wife figure that is pushing away doctors and always standing by her man even though he's being terrible, not taking care of himself and over-drinking, and she's always making excuses and always helping him out. It's kind of a movie that is more about showcasing the symptoms of alcoholism and the toxic relationships that it builds as opposed to like telling a coherent story so mm-hmm. i think that's kind of the point like the the collateral damage that it leaves although it's not as drastic as like you know the uh you know both of the suicides that you thought were going to happen end up not happening and i think a more bold telling of the story would have had at least one or both of them happen you know that the sister wasn't going to die because she tried to commit suicide in a hospital probably the best place <laughs> to do something yeah. like that uh, listening to you sort of break down the family dynamic just then, I think what I had a problem with is it's it's a little too it's a little too much of a perfect storm. It's got like every bad thing possible. I could have just done without one or two of those elements. It lacked a coherent story in a way, but it does explore character very much. Just not Keanu's character. I mean, that's the other thing too. It's like <laughs> I want to see him set up the VHS rental at the hardware store. Like, where's that scene? That would have been awesome. Maybe he would have rented Superman 3 or something on the shelf. Like, that could have been great. (laughs) This is sort of saying, here are all the things that could go wrong in a family with alcoholism happening in it. But what it feels like is saying, if there's an alcoholic in your family, this is going to happen to it. You know, and that's where I get thrown. The only thing I really want to talk about is the mom, who Todd said before was, he described her as an enabler. 
I don't know if she's more complicated than that or less complicated than that because the whole <laughs> movie she spends in bed that she's like sick, quote unquote sick. It feels like her disease is just not wanting to deal with her husband. She gets upset at the daughter for not reminding her that it was the school time to go for that parent teacher thing. So she wants to be present. Is she just like beaten down by being married to Andy Griffith? Possibly. I think that's part of it. And also, like you said, just how, you know, once you get wrapped up in that situation, how it changes how you you react to other people. And, you know, she's pretending to, to be asleep so she doesn't have to deal with her husband or tell your father I'm sleeping when he comes home from work. Avoidant, but also enabling in terms of making excuses for him and sticking up for him, you know, with the doctor. Basically, when the doctor tells her that he's an alcoholic, she just kind of says, you're young, you young doctor, what do you know, kind of thing. It's more and less complex, like you said. Like, there's complexity in terms of how she feels and acts. And I'd say that that's kind of realistic in a way, in terms of how people deal with those kind of situations. You know, it doesn't really play out, like you said, on the screen very well, because you don't really know what her motivation is or why she cares or why she's doing any of it. She's probably the other character that gets a bit shortchanged here, too, because I was trying to figure her out throughout this film. And there's one or two clues, like when Anne, the oldest sister, is adamant about not being a housewife, the mom says something like, well, isn't that what we're supposed to do, you know, like as women? So she's sort of stuck. Well, not stuck, but she's sort of from just a whole different era and way of thinking. You know, these are the late 80s now where the woman's movement, all this kind of stuff is is happening in full force. And when she's from is probably, you know, pre-60s, didn't even have that liberation going on. So I could see her being stifled and unprepared for situations like these. And then, yeah, just sort of shutting down and she goes dormant and goes R2-D2 sleep mode for most of this movie. I, I don't even know how to process what's going on, so I'm just going to shut down. I'm sort of tired of talking about this movie because I don't want to think about this movie ever again. <laughs> I feel like it would make CBS and the people who put this on and produced it and actually made this thing, I, th- I feel like we would kind of make them proud having discussed it as much as we have. You know, it's like, it's amazing <laughs> it didn't come with questions to kickstart our discussion about this movie. So, Todd, any other things in your notes that you wanted to talk about that we did not get to? We kind of discussed, there were three major scenes with Keanu. One was the first one we discussed at the, in the kitchen where he threw the beers at him and they had the fight. Mm-hmm. The other major one was at the grave where he shot his already dead father in the ground. And then the, the other one in between those two was when he discovered his father dead. You know, in, in the, the back store. office, right? yeah. yeah, in the back office, which I was like, I, I knew, I kind of figured, I was like, it's gonna happen. He's gonna like drink himself to death. But I was like, watch, he's got like something stored away somewhere. But when I first saw that scene, I was like, this is either gonna be really terrible acting or really great acting. And it ended up, it ended up being surprisingly good. When it first started, I was like, oh no, this is gonna be horrible. But it turned itself around. And I don't know if it was from the acting or the directing, but it, I think it played on screen pretty well. You just had to do it. You just had to do it. You bastard!
Yeah, there's a little bit of a minor freak out, which is kind of cool to see. I mean, we have the cage freakouts in Cage Club. Here we have a Keanu freakout a little bit. It's sort of a, I don't know that it's necessarily great. I think we've seen him do better stuff, but I think it's believable. And compared yeah. to the rest of the movie, I think it works pretty well. Like I said, I like every time that Keanu and Andy Griffith are on screen together. I think that's when the movie works best, and that's when I'm most engaged. And Keanu does a good job at yelling at dead Andy Griffith in this. You know, he does it like two or three <laughs> times. Like I think he he like yells at him asleep in the hospital. Then he yells at him when he finds him dead, and then he yells at him at the grave. And and it's just kind of Keanu's good in this. He plays a pretty despicable guy, but but he's doing it well and believable. And the only other thing I really had was his hair, Keanu's hair. You know, I didn't realize how oh, early on he sort of had this signature long mm-hmm. hair of his. And it's something that was nagging at me in the past couple episodes. I was like, what is it about him? And I put my finger on it. And this one, it's like he's had this hair for a couple of things now. I mean, it's his 1986 look, I guess. But this is going to be one of his most recognizable traits for a while, you know, is that he's got this long hair. It's a little shaggier here, I think, than it'll be in later. I mean, it's not as well-groomed. You know, he's, he's less of a, a movie star-looking guy with his long hair. But you're right, he is definitely in visual Keanu mood. I still did not pay attention to his walk. Remember we talked about it in an episode or two yes. ago about yeah. the Keanu walk? But he also really wasn't in this movie a lot to walk around. It seemed like he was sort of stationary when he was in here. So I'll have to look for the next time in Babes in Toyland when we get to that. Babes in Toyland, next up, another Christmas movie. So two in a row, thanks to this being setting Christmas. Hopefully the next one will be a little cheerier. Todd, thank you for joining us, even though you had to join us for sort of a downer of an episode. But we appreciate (laughs) having you here, and we're glad that your presence here meant that at least one of us liked the film on some level. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I had to be the one devil's advocate for this movie, even though would I recommend it? No, don't watch this movie. But having had to sit through it, so I saw what they were going for, and it accomplished its purpose. It was a serviceable film for what it was. And there you go. The highest compliment we can pay it is that it's serviceable. So for all things Keanu Club, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. You can find all of our past episodes, what's coming up next, as well as information about Cage Club, Zack Attack, and Monkey Club. So whether you like Nicolas Cage, Zac Efron, or monkeys, all your needs are met at those two places. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Todd Van Mollicum, and we'll see you next time on Keanu Club.